The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, here's a question. When do you think we will take to the air by electrical power? Well, think about it. Your pizza may already be delivered to you by electrical power via an airborne drone. That's one possibility that that's the way we could go. But we are joined now by retired Air Corps Lieutenant Colonel and Airport and Security Auditor Kevin Byrne. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Pat. You've been thinking about uh, electrical activity in the aviation world, and there are a few different aspects to it, starting with the airports themselves. There are indeed. Um, I've been to many airports, as you know, but I was just looking at how good airports are going green from Morocco to Macau and all the major hubs. And they're now using things like wind turbines, solar panels, and they're doing heat pumps and air conditioning, all provided by their own locally based electricity. And they're doing that with electric vehicles as well, the buses, the baggage carts, even the tugs that push the aircraft out and back. So Hmm. all over the world, I think by the year 2035, certainly most, if not all airports, big and small, will be electrically powered. So that's good news from the environmental point of view. Yeah. Now, when you think about airports, uh, there tends to be a lot of green space around the runways and in uh, places where the sun shines uh, for many, many hours a day uninterrupted by cloud, uh, you get maximum output from solar panels. So quite a lot of electricity could be generated. Indeed, but parts of Northern Europe, funnily enough, are using the new solar panels so they can get electricity even on dull days. Parts of North Germany, for example, Frankfurt, and I know up towards Bremen and places like that, Hamburg, they're trying to install them as well. So it's not just in the hot parts of the world which get free electricity, so to speak, but it will be coming the norm everywhere, I suspect. Yeah, and of course, so, uh, airports ideally are in windy spots because you want to get lift. Yeah. Um, so you can have your windmills as well. Indeed. So it it cuts both ways, indeed. And it's going to happen. And it'll be very good news from the environmental point of view, as I've just said. Mm. Now, there is uh, the prospect of zero emissions by 2050 from all aviation. Is that realistic at all? Yes and no. Let's get some bad news out of the way. I'm not sure if it's bad news indeed, but you would be aware of the velocopters, the little two-seaters which are going to be put into the sky over the Paris area for the Olympics next year. Now, you can buy a ticket, but I wouldn't buy one just yet because you get into it, two people get into it, it looks like a, a small bubble with a lot of rotor blades on top, and it will fly you autonomously by autopilot from point A to point B at 1,500 feet across Paris. The Those who are not so positive about it say it hasn't been certified yet and you know you must have certification in the aviation way to the aviation standards and those are saying they haven't done the proving flights yet so so don't buy the ticket quite mm. yet Pat but that is the start yeah. but it's the minor micro aviation Is that so just speak. like a, a drone a larger drone with people on board? Yes. yes and they're testing them now with a pilot on board fully qualified helicopter pilot but would you have the comfort in less than a year to jump into this have the ground crew close the doors put you on board and press a button and off you go for five or six or, or 15 or 20 minutes whatever mm. I'm not so sure yet so we, we've got to give that confidence and, and we haven't got it yet and the and, certification and where might these things land I mean is it that there will be in some of the, the, the parks in the centre of Paris uh, there well, would yes. be a depot and then you'd land at the Olympic Village so it'd be fairly straightforward over and back over and back yeah, that's it. They do that by helicopter now. It won't be cheap, but the point is, will it be safe? Will, you know, these things collide with each other? Will they collide with birds and, and high buildings and the Eiffel Tower and that kind of thing? And they have to have sensors to avoid that. So I'm not quite sure. The second thing is, what do you do if the battery goes flat? 
oh, there's some kind of an emergency. Uh, you know, you've no pilot on board, so you're expecting the computer to do everything for you. So there's some distance to be gone on that that part of microradiation, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, do you know anything about the design of these things? Whether the you know they would just auto gyro down in the event of a failure. That's what you'd expect. That's what helicopters can do. And I've been in them when they've been testing them and they're very good. But you have to have a very sophisticated computer to recognize what's happening there. And they should, in theory, make a, a safe landing, a bit like a parachute from that point of view. But, but you might not land on the spot you want to. You might land up, you know, you might end up in the, in the, in the river, so to speak. And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it has to be proven yet, Pat. That's all I can tell you at the moment. Now, we all remember the uh, problems that the 737 MAX had for uh, yes. Boeing. And yes. I remember you saying that uh, you would happily fly on one once they had ironed out the software uh, glitches. Um, So would you take this taxi, the air taxi? Not not, not yet. (laughs) I wouldn't go on the first flight. You know, if you can get Olympic tickets, maybe we'd have a go. But uh, I'd better go in a limousine from point A to point B in the first six months of service and maybe... And then maybe after that. Um, speaking yeah. of uh, the Boeing Max, um, they're making them and they're making them in spades. Yeah. So the idea of converting to electricity or even to hydrogen, it's really not on Boeing's horizon just yet or on Airbus's horizon. No, I did a little bit of research before coming on air, as you know, and I've discovered, I was surprised by this, uh, this there are 4,900 Boeing Max's jets on order. That's, it's, it's, so it's an extraordinarily uh, large number. But listen to this, the A320 family uh, made by Airbus, as we know, they're making 45 a month, but they have orders for 7,000. Not 700, as I thought initially, 7,000. So there are years and years of manufacturing uh, to be done on these aircraft, traditional types, and they need a thing called liquid fuel. It's now called aviation turbine fuel, but of course we're going to move to a thing called sustainable aviation fuel. And the supply of that might be a problem in the next 15 or 20 years as such. Mm. So we've got a lot of work to do in that regard. So how will they make this uh, sustainable aviation fuel, SAF? What, What is the feedstock for it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's renewable from feedstocks. It includes, but isn't limited to the food and yard waste, uh, the portion of municipal solid waste we have, maybe woody biomass, all sorts of fats and greases and oils and other feedstocks. So it's quite variable. The trouble is, though, the figures they have produced saying how much they can get from the world as such, they can't take it from uh, produce that gives food to people because that's not acceptable. But they'll only have maybe by 2040, 63 or 64% of the fuel that they need So on that basis, we're going to be using a mix of traditional petroleum-based fuels and this new stuff, sustainable aviation Mm. fuel. But they could ramp it up, and it is expensive now. It won't be when you start making billions of litres of the stuff. Yeah, as long as they have the raw materials to to do so. Now, what about the idea of sustainable hydrogen? In other words, hydrogen that is created using uh, solar power or wind power because it takes uh, electricity to break down water into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, So how would that work? Is it cost effective? Not yet, but it will be, I think. You see, you can do two things. Let's just get down to the nitty-gritty. You won't be able to fly a battery aircraft from, say, London to Perth or even to Dubai. It's just too much. The batteries weigh too much and the electrical power required to do it because aircraft engines are now huge. They use vast quantities of energy to make, you know, the thrust they need to push them through the air. So we're going to have, you know, this kind of thing. We're going to need huge electric motors which aren't yet designed, for example, for taking an aircraft off the ground like a 777 and flying for 10,000 kilometers. But if you had a hydrogen-powered device in the back of the aircraft, you would have to sacrifice some, some carriage of passengers 
and or baggage, but you'd have a sustainable power source then for your large engines, and that's what's going to happen. You can either directly do it with electric power, or you can have fuel cell operations, and that might work as well. So there's a huge amount of research going into that so that we have sustainable um, engines that can be fueled by hydrogen. Just making and storing the hydrogen will be different than what we do at the moment with the liquid fuels, because we've had them for 70, 80 years. But, uh, for example, Airbus are going to test a new hydrogen-powered jet engine on their A380. They're going to bolt an engine onto it, and they're going to prove reliability and safety in the next three or four yeah. years. And that's good news, I think. Okay, so the idea of that particular experiment is that it would burn hydrogen directly uh, yes. as it yes. currently burns uh, the, the liquid fuel. Uh, everyone will say, when you mention hydrogen, the Hindenburg, yes. you know, the most famous. Uh, and they're right from that point of view. But to burn it, it's actually four times more efficient than the liquid fuel, which surprised me. So you don't need as much of it. There are storage uh, difficulties you'd have to put into a pressure vessel. Although the Russians did fly a TU-155 about 30 years ago successfully. But you have to, of course, have a big airframe for that kind of thing. But it will come to pass because aviation is a great place for innovation. Uh, on the smaller side, Pat, we are going to have electric aeroplanes, I think, on an ambitious timeline, if, if my research is proven correctly. For example, you're going to have 40 to 80 seaters aircraft, and these are going to be what we have now, turboprops, and they're going to replace the turbine engines with uh, electric conversion kits. And they've already started that on a Dash 8 Bombardier and an ATR-72, which are familiar aircraft. And what's the, what's the range, uh, Kevin? And yeah, obviously headwinds, different range to tailwinds. Yeah. It's between 800 and 1,000 kilometres, uh, I beg your pardon, 1,000 nautical miles, so that's quite good. That's not too far off what it is at the moment, do you see? There will be a price to pay in that you might not get as, um, as many passengers on board initially, but it would make it very efficient and uh, very cost-effective, I think, if they can get the, um, the conversion kits at the right price. So there are all sorts of tests going on now. Of course, twin-engined aircraft, as you know, are probably overpowered because if you lose an engine at a critical point to take off you have to have one engine remaining to get you airborne and that's part and parcel of it so there'll be certification um, requirements for that and it will be to the aviation standards required but the manufacturers of the engines are very very um, or a big part and optimistic that it will take place by the year 2027 that's only what four years away Okay, so that's a thousand nautical miles between 40 and 80 seats uh, yes. by 2027 between 100 and 200 seats uh, and 2,000 nautical miles before yeah. the end of the decade. You know, I think that's very ambitious because you are then going head-to-head with what we have at the moment, which I've just discussed, the Boeing Max and the Airbuses like that. Unless the two major manufacturers get, you know, get their act together, this would be a challenge to them. Or it could be an upstart, as happens in the motor industry in that regard, which would have a lot of certification and a lot of proving to do because, of course, most of that range of 2,000 might be over water. And you want to make sure that the two engines you have are going to work in all weather conditions and in all parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, meantime, uh, those drones which are filling our skies um, are being used for all sorts of things, checking yes. electricity pylons and all yes. the rest of it, where they used yes. to have to use helicopters before. Uh, so uh, the drones are going to come into their own. Yes, and in fact, uh, we are, we're not really, uh, we don't understand what's going to happen. I, I mean, people call to my door now with packages from, from, from diesel vans and that kind of thing, but if you're a bit more remote than that, I, I think we're going to see drones much more so than we thought. There was a, I was out on the Aran Islands in, in, in August on a beautiful summer's day, and I heard the noise of a drone, and they were doing tourist-related, um, uh, you know, videoing and that kind of thing, and it's n- normal to have that now, but if you could deliver medicines or something in a hurry, or you have a uh, requirement for, uh, you know, your pizza, 
for example, or, or, or you're, it's cheaper to use it, it will become the norm now. We're getting to the stage where the regulations and safety are being uh, handled in a very good way. You can't, of course, fly a drone within five uh, kilometres of, of, of the, I think, apparently five miles of the airport. And that's still going to be a problem, I suppose, for those delivering to places like Swords or maybe Shannon or Cork or that kind of thing. But there will be rules and regulations and it will be a safe and a novelty way initially, I suppose. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're very familiar with the, the helicopter technology, yes. but the idea of drone technology maybe to rescue someone not in heavy weather, but in fine weather from one of the islands, a medical emergency, you know, yes, that kind happen. of yeah, yeah. aircraft should be available. Searching people in mountains has gone to a new extent as well. Once the weather is not too bad, uh, the, the drone will cover the area that it would take four or five hours for people, uh, you know, on their own power to do. So there are all sorts of applications for drones that we haven't even thought about yet, Pat. Uh, retired Air Corps Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Byrne, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the programme. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.